Welcome to Letters to Women, a podcast where I explore what it means to live out the feminine genius in our ordinary daily lives as Catholic women. It has been a little bit since I was on this end of the podcast mic as baby Maeve has gotten older. She is eight months old now, but she's also decided that she's a very natural co-host. And while I love her sweet little peeps, sometimes the sounds she prefers to make while the podcast recording button is blinking are not so sweet and not so peeps. They're more like loud yells. She is asleep now, and I have devoted a couple evenings a week to sitting down with other women over a podcast microphone and a cup of coffee. Yes, it is 8.27 at night, and I'm definitely drinking a cup of coffee so that we can talk about the feminine genius. So Maeve is hopefully sleeping peacefully in her room, and fingers crossed, will be still asleep by the time this podcast recording is done. But I love this season. I love this season with Maeve and Joseph in our home, and so that's why I'm really excited for today's episode. A letter to the woman looking for home. Home is where we live, sure, but the word home means a lot more than just the four walls that we call ours. This past summer, Joseph and I bought our first home, and sometimes the first thing that comes to mind when I think of the word home is now how every broken toilet, leaking laundry room, poorly insulated door, roach-infested stove, and the sinkhole in the backyard, they're ours. They're ours to take care of and they're ours to fix. Yes, there is a sinkhole in our backyard. It's a crazy story. This is not what people prepared me for before I signed on the dotted line of my mortgage paper. But what we're striving for here in the Langer home, which we have lovingly decided to call the Guadalupe house, is a domestic church. It's something we want, that we desire to point those who enter our door, to point them back to the heart of the Father. Domestic church isn't the phrase that comes to mind when my dishes are piling up or my laundry is really, really piling up, but that's what we're called to every day. That's what we're called to invite others into every day. Your home is not too messy to invite others into, and it's not too small. Let's explore the idea of home together and challenge the way that we think about the places where we live. We're welcoming to the podcast, Noelle Mearing. She's the editor for the website, Theology of Home, and a co-author of the book, Theology of Home, Finding the Eternal in the Everyday. She writes on culture, politics, and religion. She's a wife and mother to six children living out in Southern California. Noelle, welcome to the podcast. It's so good to have you. Hi, Chloe. Thanks so much for having me. You know, as we're recording this episode, I'm sitting here in Kansas. We're getting ready for yet another ice and snowstorm, so California life sounds really good right now. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my goodness, that ice storm. I can't even imagine. (laughs) So today's podcast, we're going to be having a conversation about the beauty of creating a home, the invitation to hospitality, no matter how small your home is or how messy your home is, and what we can learn from Our Lady about the beauty of of home. But before we dive into that conversation, can you tell us a little bit about your story as a Catholic woman? Sure. I am from a Catholic family, a small Catholic family. I have one sibling, an older sister, uh, with whom I'm still close, and um, my mom is from was from the Philippines actually. She was born in the Philippines. She's a very hard worker. I can remember being up in the middle of the night with a flu and she was studying for nursing school and and also very affectionate. She was just a great example for me of um, just being a real physical presence for her children. My dad is a real intellectual. He really um, sort of set me on a good course from a young age of just being the first man in my life to take what I had to say seriously, and he was very solicitous of my thoughts and ideas, and even though I didn't merit that, <laughs> um, he would always get asked my opinion about things and kind of philosophize with me, and 
I think he just gently introduced me into the intellectual life and um, and also kind of gave me a sense of what to expect in relationships moving forward. And so I think that set a bar, a, a high bar, which was lovely. And I always think about that, but the way fathers ought to be. But but it, uh, uh, I had a I went to public school, so I had just sort of a normal like faith drift. I think I basically stopped practicing the Catholic faith more or less sometime in high school there's like a shell of Catholicism and then um and then in college I went to a, a little evangelical school called Westmont in Southern California and it had a, a lot of really um, devout evangelicals and I just had no ex- exposure to that culture it was the first time I kind of really realized that there was this real divide between Catholics and evangelicals and and it made me kind of think well, I'm not practicing, and all of these people think that the Catholic Church is kind of wrong, but, and they seem to have, you know, this relationship that looks beautiful and moving. Um, and it just made me kind of start out on a search for what do I believe and why do I believe it and what actually is true. And so I eventually came back to the Catholic Church, and then I met my husband there, and actually while I was on that journey, and then... Um, and the interesting thing was, I always laugh about this because he's such a devout Catholic man now, but at the time I realized, okay, you know, we're dating and you either, I need, I, I think I want to marry a Catholic, even though I'm barely, barely practicing the things. I just know that's what I want for my future. So I decided, okay, I'm going to, I heard about this huge novena, which was 54 day novena, you know, and I didn't know what anything about it. But I was like, I never prayed the rosary. It's like, I'm just going to pray the rosary for 54 days that he can become a Catholic. And as an utter miracle from the Holy Spirit, I was able to do it, which was, was so unlike me at the time. But I would drag myself out of bed at like midnight and be like, oh, I haven't done my rosary. Anyway, um, he wound up becoming Catholic and laughed me very quickly. He's an amazing man. And we're married now and have six children in Southern California. Um, I'm a writer and we're both supernumeraries with Opus Dei, um, which informs a lot of our daily habits and um that's pretty much the catch-up. That's where we are. That's awesome. I love how just seeing your journey of creating a home with your spouse and having your having your Catholic faith really color the way that you build a home together as as Catholic mm-hmm. as a Catholic married couple. That's so beautiful. I love that. Thanks for sharing your story. I have this book in front of me. It's absolutely beautiful. Um, Theology of Home: Finding Eternal in the Everyday. Can you tell people who haven't heard about this book, or maybe they've seen it on Instagram, where the inspiration? For theology of home came from and then what they find inside the book sure uh well the inspiration came to my prolific co-author carrie Gress, who i'm sure your listeners will know of she wrote the anti-america exposed and mirroring auction uh and she was listening to a song actually about home and it just occurred to her how home is such this universal longing in all of our hearts so we really just ultimately want to get home to heaven, yeah. even though we might in a, like think that that's through this weird means on earth or, you know, whatever mm-hmm. direction or good we're seeking, apparent good, that ultimately what we're seeking, what we're seeking in all of those desires is heaven. Um, and so how, you know, the, the idea that God and his goodness gives us the chance to establish this earthly foretaste of that, which is our home life now their family, their relationships, and um, and what an important and universal desire that is. And so we really just, we started, she, this phrase came to our theology of home. At the time, we were working um, on a website, which was called Lane the Daily, now it's Theology of Home, but 
uh, with a lovely woman named Megan Schreiber. The three of us just started talking about this idea and fleshing it out and decided that this would be just a beautiful book. And pretty quickly realized that the book really needs to have images because um, we really, the concept of the book is really marrying the material with the, the spiritual um, because that's what Catholics do, right? Exactly. Uh, so, so we realized quickly this needs to be a beautiful book. It needs to have sort of a visual embodiment, but also some spiritual meat in the writing. And so we connected with this uh, photographer who is a friend of mine locally down in Southern California, and she, Kim Bale is her name. She's super talented, and she just was a great, great um, addition to this book and made it really beautiful and uh, really brought out the ideas and into a physical form. So what they can expect in the book is just this, yeah, just those things, just this com- combination of visuals and I think some, I hope some real spiritual meat and encouragement and just this meditation on what, why we care so much about home. You know, we all know we love home, but why? And what is that? What are the implications of that? Why do we think so much about our home from the past? Why do we long for our forever home, you know, and, and on earth, we talk about that all the time with real estate or something. Oh, I need to find my forever <laughs> home. Um, you know, and how even all, even that can be an indication of our desire for our, our, our eternal home. Yeah. I love how you use the word meditation because I think that fits this book so well, a book that, mm. that its purpose is to draw you deeper into, into the heart of the father, into the heart of the home that he has for us. So I, I love that description. I think that's 100% right. As I look through the book, that just this idea of this is just, this is so practical in terms of leading me to the father, leading me to the reason why, why I'm building a domestic church or why my home should be a domestic church. Yeah. And that why is so important, right? You've right. got to start with the why, otherwise you're just kind of flailing. Exactly. So I think that, yeah, remembering why are we doing this? What you, and that's kind of the point of the book. It's not a how-to so much as a why. Right. Um, and that, that why can set us on our course, figure out the how-tos from there in whichever particular way, you know, that manifests itself. It's going to look different. You know, when I saw the word home in the in the title, I loved that because, like you said, this speaks into the longing of our hearts. But I also think it it's really bringing up a lot of conversation to a word that sometimes gets hijacked by a culture. I've heard a lot of women say, oh, you know, what do you do during the day? I, I just stay at home. Or maybe they're in this season of life where they're, what do you, do? you know, the, what do you do? The, the, the easy question to ask someone when you first meet them, I, you know, I just, I'm just a homemaker. Maybe I'm just a stay at home mom. Why is it mm-hmm. that creating a home is seen as something less than in today's society? And then what's the antidote to that? What's this antidote to down, downplaying the beauty and even the theology of creating a home? Oh, my goodness. That's such a good question. Um, you know, and I, I utterly resonate with it. I feel like I've not used the word homemaker. I, I just didn't. And it wasn't this conscious decision, but because there is that stigma, uh, ju- unjustly, I think. Um, and, you know, the, there's, an, there's a uh, you know, concrete reason, which is that there's been a real campaign, I think, to stigmatize being a homemaker beginning, um, you know, with, well, Betty Friedan, I think, was the one who said that to t- stay home and take care of your kids is life wasted. You know, these really strident um, remarks about the, the role of the homemaker. Um, but then it's also been carried through in endless ways in cultural, you know, touching touch points, like uh, in movies and in magazines, and, you know, you kind of see this narrative of the woman who's at home is sort of stuck and it's a dark and a dismal life and it's oppressive um, and there's no agency there. You know, I think if we have to step back from all of that 
sort of propaganda and think about it new because the desire for home is something that's built into us. And just like the faith is supposed to be ever ancient, ever new, it is something that is because it's so embedded in us, we can find it and find it as a new thing again, but also with this thread of being so deeply embedded in us. I think, you know, first of all, we have to kind of see for what it was, what that effort was for and dismiss it. And then second, I think we have to kind of stop the comparison or as much as we can, because I think, you know, we tend to get caught up in comparing ourselves. And it's really hard when you see people doing things that seem seemingly so exciting and lovely and and are good things and just think, oh, my goodness, I'm just at home. Mm -hmm. I feel inadequate or I feel, you know, and those are, I've felt those feelings. It's a struggle. But, um, you know, I think as much as we can see there's something wonderful that this other woman's doing. And maybe at some point I'll be at a phase in my life when I can do something like that. But right now I'm doing something that is the most wonderful thing and the most crucial thing and the thing that we all ultimately care the most about, which is our family um, and putting our efforts there. So, and it's interesting because I I think we all ultimately know this, that our family and our home life is where our happiness ultimately is. I mean, if you kind of are unhappy in your work situation, but you have a really happy marriage, you really, really happy home life, you're more likely to be happy than if you have a miserable marriage and a miserable home life, but I have a great career, you know, <laughs> there's, just, there's a real uh, distinction there. And I just discovered this group of women called, they're in Oregon, and they're called the Radical Homemakers. And they're super, you know, um, kind of crunchy and sort of, you know, lefty but they have left careers and decided to reclaim homemaking and they're, you know, living on, on smaller incomes and trying to live more simply and, you know, corporate grow food and all these beautiful domestic arts. And it occurred to me that there's, you know, things that are true have all sorts of implications that are true. And oftentimes people will pick up on the implication and kind of work their way backwards into, you know, to how power of far they can get like you know like it's kind of like when people stop practicing birth control because they see the health ramifications you know they don't have the moral implication but they kind of found a part of the truth and they work their way into the right right way forward anyway not that everyone has to abandon their career i don't mean that obviously some women are working and that's we don't you know there's it's going to look different for everyone. People have different you know needs and different ways that their family life works out and so i don't make any concrete statement about that but it was just fascinating to me to see these women who um, were seeing and trying to reclaim this beauty of being the homemaker and they didn't necessarily have a spiritual element or foundation of it but they just knit sense that this was something that was good and I think we all have that you know sense and so as much as we can just sort of reclaim that identity I think is the antidote the transcendental of the good or the transcendental of the beauty of, of a home is, is calling them this group in Oregon, not because, Oh, because God is the answer to those transcendentals necessarily for, for them or for, for all of them, but because there's something good there, there's something that's so beautiful there. That's that draws us in. Yeah. I love how you speak into comparison, especially when it comes to homes. Cause I fall into this trap so much. And I think a lot of it is due to the rise of HGTV or the, the DIY project rise. And this idea that, you know, even the most humble house can be transformed with a little work to reveal its beauty through this idea of order. You speak about this in the book, but can we talk about it? This idea of a beauty of an ordered home and how an ordered home really fosters an environment for creativity and order, not just in our home, but in our lives. 
Yeah, no, those HGTVD, I, I love, I've always loved those shows. And isn't it funny how they do feel like, oh my goodness, this seems feel so attainable. Like, I'm just going to rewire this lamp and then I'm going to, you know, just change up and pull out the drywall. And then I'm going to have this beautiful little diamond. Um, uh, but yeah, but I think, you know, as long as we're taking inspiration from those shows and not, <laughs> not getting too intimidated by them, but, but there's that, that how to, what does an ordered home do? I think um, there's an obvious, there's a practical part, right, where I think we all know that when our house is in chaos, we feel chaotic, right. we feel super stressed. And it's because of, again, that spiritual, physical, you know, um, composite that is both our being and also, you know, our lives. So we're really affected by it. It's funny, I actually heard this, um, this study, there was a study that someone did, and I'm not going to remember the details, except that the study showed a man in a parking garage and he would drop a piece of trash in like a, a clean parking garage and they would they would survey to see how many they would do this over and over again and almost every time the person walking behind them would pick up the trash and throw it away and then they did it in a super trashed parking mm-hmm. garage where there's garbage everywhere and almost no one picked up the, the piece of trash he dropped in front of them and I think that there's something really to that which is that we sort of get to the point where we're so overwhelmed where we give up and it's a point of despair um, where we're not struggling for order anymore. And so as much as we can, you know, be kind of in the, to the amount that our lives and our vocations allow us to be, because sometimes we have a baby and a toddler and right. we're just not physically capable of capable of having some magazine worthy home. In fact, I mean, really never are we capable of right. magazine worthy homes are not possible, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, but I, I think as long as we are, you know, sort of prioritizing that because there's some connection between physical order and spiritual order, right? But God wants us not just to be on our knees all day, but he gives us, you know, a, um, responsibilities and things that we have to take care of. And, you know, there's going to be different phases where that looks different and it's going to be a struggle. And sometimes we have to be able to hold that loosely and just let it go and say, you know what, today is just going to be a trash house day because this kid's sick and, you know, there's got to be a lot of grace there in how we do it. But I think as long as we are kind of striving for some sort of routine that keeps things kind of under control, <laughs> I don't know. It's the eternal struggle. I don't <laughs> There's just so not a magic pill, but it's still important. It's still important and the struggle is worth it. Yeah, as much as I was, I, I'm sitting here kind of in, in surrounded by a kitchen that needs clean and a dining room that's kind of messy and just wishing like, oh, I just need the an- the one answer. I need the silver bullet. But just realizing that in some ways, it's 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 really how we prioritize. Like, where is it going to fall in the priorities of the day? And you're right. Sometimes it is on the very, very, very bottom of the list, but some days it can be higher. And so I think really, I love this, holding it loosely, going, my day isn't going to fall apart if today it drops down a little bit further on the priority list, because I know tomorrow it may, it can, it can come up a little bit. Yeah. And I think it's like a real value in just serving your landscape and saying, what can I do halfway and not get bogged down into the details? Mm-hmm. Like, can I just make my living room and kitchen visually okay? And maybe my closets are horrible and maybe my <laughs> bedroom is a disaster, but what is going to give me a bit of a boost? And maybe I'll just do that. And just pick and choose your battles, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I too, I like that too. How you're speaking to the idea of order too, because you can have an ordered home that's still a little bit messy. If something has a place, like mm-hmm. I, I know my clothes go in my closet. I know they should go in there. It's not like I'm keeping my clothes 
in the basement in, in a box somewhere mm-hmm. so in two <laughs> i mean some of them are let's be honest we're, we've just moved recently so some of them are but they're not meant to be there and i know where they're supposed to be and so in some ways having a place for it can also elevate yeah. it so like having order even underneath the chaos of the daily mess is just i i've loved having okay now i know this cabinet is for this thing and so now i know it goes there i just have to put it in there every night which that's the hard part yeah, and it gives you a sense of peace, though, doesn't it? Just knowing this has a spot yes. that it goes in. That's so true. That's so true. You know, we're talking about homes and, and looking through the homes in this in the book, Theology of Home, and I'm sitting in my own home now that's, you know, a couple bedrooms and, and a living room and things like that. But it hasn't always been that way for me. I know I've lived in the one-bedroom apartment. We've lived in, in a duplex. For listeners who who are listening to this episode and, and the word home means, maybe it does mean a one-bedroom or a studio apartment. Do you have any advice mm-hmm. for women who are wanting to create home in a small space, especially when it can be so easy to buy into this idea that, you know, because I have a small home, I don't have to be hospitable or because I'm moving, mm-hmm. moving constantly, my lease is going to be up in a month or, or two months. I don't want to put the effort into to unpacking or to making this have a sense of home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that things happen in stages, right? Like I've had that tiny little closet apartment too and we had our first baby and mm-hmm. um and it, you know even now we have a family of eight and our home is I think maybe 1800 square feet so for eight people well my daughter's off college now but for eight she's off to the home and for eight people that's not huge right um and I really actually prefer to have a fair air on the side of a smaller home than mm-hmm. a bigger I think it's easier to manage and you have to edit and just kind of be a little bit more brutal with your belongings and um but, and, you know, there's something about decorating. I've been a decorator before, and I, I always think that they're, the problem kind of lends itself towards creativity. That if you have all the space in the world and all the money in the world, well, you could just do anything, and that's kind of not that interesting. But if you have a limited budget and a limited space, yeah. well, you kind of have to respond to your limitations in a way that's creative. So in a way, I think you can be more creative in, in within limitations. So, um yeah, I just would say that and then and also just say that there's just stages and things evolve and you never know what's going to happen next. But um, and then about, I think there are other questions about hospitality. I, I think that we're living in a great one of my favorite things about living in, in the age we're in now is that I enjoy that people are just kind of more casual and yeah. that hospitality is super casual. I'm a casual person and I'm not going to be serving high tea or something <laughs> Um, so I think like if we're living in a small place and people just kind of want to be connecting with other people, they care so much more about that than they do about the formality or the propriety of the the dining table or, you know, the, the, that you have the right buffet or the right serving platters. I don't know. Um, you know, and I think that we can get caught up in thinking hospitality is about us and how we're viewed, you know, it can become sort of a performative thing. Um, or I, I felt that in the past that, you know, I might, maybe I want to impress these people or maybe I want them to think I am stylish and have the right dishes or, you know, that's just really coming at hospitality backwards. And, um, yeah, I just think that it's such a great opportunity and a fun opportunity to connect with another human being. And that's the ultimate point of it. So if we get past that anxiety and the performance of it, we get to the really good stuff. And so, yeah, I just would encourage people to, just get past that stuff and whether or not they're in a space to do it and just say, Hey, let's get some takeout and bring a salad. You bring a bottle of wine or, you know, make it as easy as possible. 
and just do it. Yeah, I love this idea of hospitality, not as a performance, but as a service to others, because that's so true. That's what we're doing. We're welcoming our welcoming people into our homes, not so we can show off and say, you know, look at yeah. this. I'm so good at decorating or look at this home and look how clean it is. It's it's instead I'm here for you and 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 the mess that that they may bring it too because we're in, encountering each other as humans and and oh, yeah. it's so good you're creating a space and an environment where people can just exist. I have so many friends. I'm so mm. so blessed so to have so many friends where I can say there when I go into their house I'm not I'm not going there necessarily for a specific purpose a lot of the times I just want to go and exist on their couch because I just feel Mm. so at home there and so I think just knowing that I have I'm so blessed to have friends who who are like that and then just being able to strive to create that in my own home to create a space where people Mm. can just come exist they don't have to feel like they have to perform and I'm not performing either yeah you don't and as a guest you that's not what you want you want just to be with them yeah that's beautiful so we're looking for in some ways this an example who can we look to when it comes to a woman who creates this family and home environment centered around the eternal. And if there's anyone to look to in this, it's the blessed mother. She's just a perfect source uh, for women mm-hmm. who, are, who are listening. How can they learn from our lady here on here on from her life here on earth and the home that she created for the Lord during his time on the earth? Oh yeah. Well, I think that the first thing that comes to mind is that she lived a beautifully shaken life, right? We don't hear much about her. Although I think, there's that saying that she is concealed in the Old Testament revealed in the New. Um, she's sort of all over Scripture, but kind of really quietly. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the Gospel, certainly, she's pretty quiet. And, you know, I think she, we, we, we know that she was going to be exhibiting motherhood and um, embodying it perfectly, right? So I was trying to think about praying to her recently, just that what is it that she embodied when I say she perfectly embodied womanhood, I think, you know, I'm not going to say anything revolutionary, but that she was receptive, she was connected, she was dialed into other people, she was responsive, you know, she uh, responded to um, the needs of of when Christ asked her, or so that when at the wedding, Peace of Cana, she was, um, you know, there's a, in the Passion, the movie, The Passion of Christ, I think it was based largely on Blessed Anne Catherine Emmerich's Mm -hmm. visions, and that scene where the Blessed Mother gets receives the towels from Pilate's wife and she starts mopping up his blood because she knows it's sacred. Yeah. And um, that to me comes back to me in prayer sometimes because it just showed how dialed in and how utterly connected she was and how she just was so responsive to him. And she was responding to our Lord. And she... Um, she had the beatific vision in a way, you know, yeah. she was staring at him and gazing at him and he was gazing at her for their whole life. And her motherhood kept her utterly courageously at the foot of the cross, you know, seeking him in the tomb. And um, yeah, it, it gives me chills just to think about because she's such an example. And I feel like when we will inevitably see our children suffer um, and who better to meditate on than to meditate on the sufferings of Mary you know, um, who said sufferings are unfathomable, unfathomable to us. And when our children are going through physical pain or um, spiritual pain or any sort of pain, it hurts so deeply as a mom. You just want to make it go away. But they, um, they, they can be brought into that sort of um, that, that loving relationship between our Lord and our Lady. Um, and our pain can be offered up for them and to, the, to that and to our Lord. Um, through her in a way that is utterly 
revolutionary and powerful. So yeah, she she features a figure hugely in our motherhood, I would say. Our Lady partakes in the joy of the Lord's life here on earth, speaking into the miracle at Cana, the visitation, all of these beautiful, joyful scenes that I think of, but also the sorrows, the deep, deep sorrow. I I love that word unfathomable. We can't, we can imagine, but Mm -hmm. for her to be able to experience the death of her son who's dying for those who have sinned while she herself has no sin. I just think, what was it like for her? And not to be able to wrap Mm. my mind around it. So just to be able to turn to her Mm. because we know she's experienced that, the the joy and the sorrow. Mm -hmm. That's so good. Oh, it's beautiful. Yeah. I love that. that. So we've had this beautiful conversation about home, creating home, hospitality. We're just scratching the surface of all the goodness and wonderful meditations that are in Theology of Home. For people who are listening, Can how can they pick up a copy of Theology of Home? And it's not just a book. They also can have Theology of Home in their inbox every day. So can you can you talk about that they, side of it too? Yeah, they can. So we have a website, theologyofhome.com, and it's free to subscribe, and it just gets you one email a day with seven to ten curated links. Uh, we just sort of see what's on the web and kind of curate them for women in particular. So things, half of them usually are about the faith, and then the other half can be anything from um, how to organize something to fashion tips to, you know, home stuff, so sort of fun stuff. Um, and then the book is both sold through our website, theologyofhome.com, and also it's through TAN Books, and it's on Amazon. Theology of Home, the email is one of my favorite emails every day. Like, oh, but what's out there oh. on the internet? I just love it because it's just curated perfectly. It's like, it's what I want to read. Oh, I'm so glad. So, Noelle, as we wrap out our conversation today, one question that I ask every woman who comes on the podcast is, as I kind of explore what it mean, what does it mean to live out the feminine genius? Can you speak into how you live out the feminine genius in your in your daily life as a woman who's striving to find the eternal in your everyday? Yes, I love this question. I heard you. I love your podcast so much, and I've heard other people answer it. And I'm thinking, oh, I don't know how it is about this. <laughs> I I thought about it today in anticipation of talking to you, and I was thinking, you know. I, I think one of the ways that I do it, I want to say two things. One is that in my writing, not the book necessarily, but I can, I write a lot of articles that are on super controversial or hot button issues. And I've always been interested in talking about those things since I was a little girl. I've wanted to talk about things that you're not supposed to talk about. <laughs> and I've done, done that poorly and polemically often. And it's, and I'm also really relational. I mean, a typical woman where I love to be in relationship with people. And so I realized at some point, like, wait, how can I unite these two things? Yeah. Um, and so what I really start to do in my writing now is to talk about hard things, you know, not to shy away from them, but to do it in a way that's really motivated by love, not motivated by any type of winning or power, personal power, but just that the truth is important and relationships are important. So how can we like work through this situation? And that's where I try to, um, you know, I, I feel like I bring up maybe a, a more womanly mm-hmm. uh, perspective to that to everything. And then personally, I think I just strive for friendship in my daily life, friendship with God. Mm-hmm. And I have the norms of hope day that I practice, um, that are challenging. I don't always do them perfectly, but they really kind of keep me on track and keep me from kind of, you know, the natural drift into my own comfort and indulgence. And then with my husband, my, we really prioritize our friendship in a way because it is part of our romance that us being friends, like talking to each other about the things we're struggling with or things that we care about or having a real base of friendship feels super 
romantic and, and, and loving, I think, for both of us. And so we sort of combine our our romantic relationship with our, our deep friendship. And then with my kids, I, um, you know, I, I don't try to be friends with them to usurp my motherhood, but I also want them to feel like they can come to me and, you know, that we can be, they can come to me as, as, a, as a friend, that they want to talk to me about things. And that, that doesn't always work out perfectly, but <laughs> I'm trying. And then finally, just with my friends, friends, I have dear, dear, dear friends, and they're like sisters to me, and they're all different sorts of people, and they're all around me, and we just, I, I really devote a lot of time to those relationships, because they're so fun, and they're so um, edifying, and so, yeah, I think that, and I think that's a particularly womanly thing. I think we have a sort of a superpower of friendship, so I, I really try to incorporate that into all the relationships in my life. I love seeing how it's lived out differently. The same, this desire for relation, this desire for friendship, but it lives, it looks different in, in relation to the people that you're friends with in a relationship. That's beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, thanks Thank for, you. yeah, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for talking about Theology of Home. Oh yeah, it was so fun. Thank you so much, Chloe. I love what you're doing. I absolutely love your podcast. Thanks for listening to this podcast episode. If you want to take a look through any of the resources that we mentioned in today's post, head over to my blog, oldfashionedgirlblog.com, and you're going to find everything that we mentioned in today's episode. If Letters to Women, this podcast has impacted the way that you think about living life as a Catholic woman, could you leave a review and rating for this podcast on iTunes? I love reading your thoughts, what you think about this podcast and the conversations we have here. And those ratings and reviews really help other people find the podcast too. Okay, baby Maeve, still asleep. I have a little bit of coffee left, so I'm going to go relax in our front room. So until our next conversation, be not afraid.